0: We, uh, there's not a rule that you have to use the three subs.
1: You're a famous competitor.
0: Um, he's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the episode 51 of the third sub podcast. And I'm your co host, Alexander Gange Ruzik. I'm joined, as usual, Samuel Roan. And we got another interesting one for you. And I don't know if this is a. This is it feels really weird to be doing any sort of awards, w- w- considering it's the Vancouver Whitecaps and they've had a, a season unlike any other. But we're here with the mid season awards show, along with a at the end a little preview of Vancouver Whitecaps versus Seattle because while there's some some players are going to go home with a big big hardware cabinets and big trophy cabinets they still do have to focus on a huge game on on Saturday versus the Sounders but before we get into that Sam how's it going since the few days ago that I I talked to you
0: yeah, it's going really well. I'm um, looking forward to this award show. Although I must admit that when we were kind of creating the categories and running through the players, there were a couple ones where we were kind of go, gosh, who are we going to put in here? It's it's obviously been a challenging year and in, in certain respects, but there have been some really good individual performers or at least guys that we feel like deserve a shout out. So we're going to do our best to kind of advertise that and give them their uh, they're due in that respect, and then at, yeah, at the end, talk a little bit of Seattle. Obviously, that's a it's a daunting matchup for the Whitecaps, but uh, we've seen them come out with surprise results before this season, so uh, fingers crossed for that. But yeah, without any further ado, really, Alex, do we want to just get into it? I'm I'm excited for this.
1: Well, without further ado, presenting, sponsored by the third sub midseason awards and uh as an asterisk uh we don't have a sponsor so uh, if anyone uh if you want to you want to sponsor any mid-season awards uh y- you'll know where to find us but uh yeah i don't know i'm looking at the order i do realize that maybe we should have left mvp to the end as the marquee award i don't know why we uh no we I, have think, it first. I think he, i think you
0: i think you got to go got to go big early so let's let's okay let's get the let's get the biggest one off right at the start so four most valuable player for the Vancouver Whitecaps. I think, well, let's, let's start by saying that these are all based on the season up until now. So there might be a few players who, you know, the rest of the year, maybe they're not a, a full season award winner, but we're just evaluating the first half, not even projecting what's going to happen in the rest of the season. So that's the criteria is the matches played up until this point. But yeah, four most valuable player. The, the three nominees we had, and, and really it was, it was two, but we, we have three here on the list. David Milankovic, <laughs> Thomas Hassall, and then I kind of made a late push for Freddie Montero, as much as the, the sample size is <laughs> tiny. At very least limited. in the time he's played, he's been very valuable to the club. I mean, some other shouts, Derek Cornelius, Jake Norwinsky, Christian Dahomey. All kind of guys in the mix, but it's really there's that top tier for the first half at least of Thomas Osall and David Milinkovic.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's fair to 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 assume our eventual winner is going to be one of those two. I feel I don't know if if we wanna I mean we obviously have to present arguments for for everyone uh, that's why they're presented. So I mean I'll go first with Milinkovic. I think he's an easy shout for MVP primarily because he had such low expectations at the beginning of the year there was all the rumors about his attitude how it ended at Hall no one was expecting much on a loan people like people would have been happy if he came here played 15 20 games caused no trouble had an assist and end up going back on loan, uh, back oh, back to Hall sorry after his loan and instead he came here and from day one and in preseason he was noticeable in the openings open the home opener he looked great in the second game of the season he looked great even after the break uh after the obviously the the quarantine break he's been one of the best players so he's been he has he ticks off all the boxes of the MVPs contributed on the score sheet he's made a huge impact aside from the score sheet with his work rate defensively for a winger he's his teammates around him better his attitude has been good I mean, what more could you ask for the guy? I think he's really put in a complete shift from year to uh, year, start of the year to now. It's been consistent, even despite a few injuries. So, yeah, Milinkovic—he's just been the most valuable player. And maybe if you look at the roster, he's not the most paid player. He's not the—he's not the best player in terms of talent, but he's definitely been a, the MVP this year, at least a good shout for it. But there are there are some good shouts, and I think do you want to take Thomas Assal? Or,
0: uh, no i'm add, not, I I'm, not to I'm not taking thomas as all i think this is one where we kind of both knew going in that or at least i kind of had a sense going in that we were both going to pick david malinkovic and i think what makes his performance up until this point so special is that the white caps are very used to usually the players they take in that have a bit of a checkered track record or have some risk associated with them. Usually those players don't work out. I mean, look at Joaquin Ardaiz last year, you know, and you're kind of, you're scarred by those, let's take a flyer on this player type of signings. But this one's worked out in the complete opposite fashion where he's really found his footing in Vancouver. And uh, so, you know, one goal, four assists, that's great. But I think what... What really set it over the top for me is the way, when Milinkovic is, you know, buzzing around the opposition area and the opposition box, it changes the way the Whitecaps play. Like he's always looking to play that incisive pass. He's he's looking to create. He draws defenders towards him. It's just a player the Whitecaps really needed, and he's kind of from the wing position, or he's been playing recently as the number ten. He's that midfielder to a certain extent that the White Caps have been missing, which I don't think people would have expected at the start of the year for Milinkovic to come in and have that kind of presence. And uh yeah, just a just a terrific story as well. I mean, you could tell I spoke with David back in gosh, it was February now. It was one of his after one of his first training sessions, and you just emphasize like I'm so happy to be here, so happy to be presented with an opportunity to play regular football again, and you, he was so positive then about the kind of success he was going to be able to have, and that's really translated over the course of the last however many months. And I mean, obviously, things since then changed a lot and you know, beyond the way anyone could have expected, but uh, very happy for David the way he's been playing. Um, a new father as well which is which is cool and uh, yeah I think you know if he continues this form he's going to be the full season MVP as well.
1: Yeah and I mean I guess shameless plug I also spoke to, to Milankovic back in uh, back in early in late April and uh, it was a very lengthy interview I, I wrote a long feature on it so and, and, and in one of our episodes we posted the interview I think it was boy it has to be one of the one of the teen episodes so if you want to hear from him and because i think the stuff he said in there is very relevant now he, he wants to stay here he's loved it here and he just really wants to give his all from it on the pitch because he knows people had a bad perception of him after hall and i think he's the kind of guy that the whitecaps if they can get him on a good deal off the after the loan and I, you have to assume that hall just doesn't want him and he has a good purchase option they should absolutely take advantage of it he's a He's still a decent age. He's obviously got the quality. And as long as he's motivated, which doesn't appear to be a problem, even at Hull, they admitted that even despite his issues off the pitch, he was always, when he was on the pitch, motivation and work rate is never an issue with him. I think that's a good building block piece for this team. And he obviously seems to, to work well. But I guess my next guy, I do want to give a shout out to Thomas Asall. I, I do feel like he's, he has no chance for the full season award just based on the fact that he got injured. But you do see the value that he brought to this team. And I think he was thrown into such an impossible situation at MLS's back because Max Crepo, who's a great goalkeeper, the defense was so bad that even he was struggling. I think he, he he was by a country mile had faced the most XG as a goalkeeper, despite playing like two or three games less than everyone else. He was just getting peppered game after game, after game. and you know, he gets injured and then to throw in a rookie in there and to keep first of all he keeps what two clean sheets in his first well two and a half clean sheets technically in his first two games against two solid teams that really like skc and, and chicago really tested him and then to come back from mls's back and to go into the regulars, the resumption of the regular season obviously the whitecaps got shelled a few games by toronto and montreal to start but he kept on battling he kept on being consistent and the Whitecaps defense—it's been good, but it's also been poor, game consistent. They—they they lead the league in xG given up, and for a rookie goalie to come in there and hold his own despite that—and he's—and have they, been without their best defender, Eric and Eric Godoy, I—I feel like Thomas Hassall does deserve a lot of credit for what he's done, and obviously, uh, if you look, he's probably—he's a very early favorite for Rookie of the Year just based on the fact that. You know he's he's an unlikely MVP winner just because of how consistent Milinkovic has been and how 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 much he's brought. But I do think Hestal does get a really good show, and he's a pretty he's not as far off from Milinkovic as you think.
0: Well, I think what makes a good case for for Thomas is that the valuable element and the fact that when you lose a you know lose an All Star caliber player at a position to have someone. Step in despite a lack of experience so seamlessly and perform either similarly or or up to that level. Uh, there's such value to that, and obviously there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes reasons why it's a really good feel good story for the Whitecaps that just kind of adds to the aura. But uh, just I I didn't want to I didn't want to end off on Melnikovich just yet. I mean, a couple of the things that stood out to me for you know a. An attacking midfielder to average one point three tackles per match. I think that's pretty that's pretty special. Shows his defensive engagement. He's also one of the most active players for the White Caps, you know, in the opposition area in the final third. Um, averaging, let's see, this is 7.2 passes in that area per match at 72%, which I mean, isn't, isn't amazing, but given the Whitecaps struggles to create in that area, certainly good. He's averaging almost a key pass per match. And, uh, you know, the, is just, I think the, the thing coming in a lot of, a lot of people were maybe questioning, as you said, you know, there was talks about what was going on behind the scenes, but his defensive work rate as much as anything. I know Mark DeSantos talked about this early on, that he almost had to tell David at times to like not make pressing runs unnecessarily where he's darting across the field and wasting his own energy. And I think that's, that's great to have a, a Whitecaps player who's obviously at his best going forward and creating to also be such a such a keen and committed defender as well, and so just that for that all-rounded game, I think that he really, really deserves this award up until this point, and uh, and hopefully, you know, can be a building block for the Whitecaps moving forward. I mean, he's only he's a 1994, so he's only what 25, going on 26. I mean, there's there's certainly plenty of, of good footballing life left, and he could be could be a Whitecaps player for the next five years and a real uh, a real piece to build around.
1: Well, I think it's fair. I think we're going to give the award to David Malenkovich. I I, I would like – Hassal gets a good shout for me. He, he does get a, a good shout just because goalkeepers in the white caps. I mean, it's it's an impossible job. Just ask Brian Meredith and the the six goals he got given up when he got thrown into the fire. That does help Hassal's MVP case, but I agree. Malenkovich is a guy. And just keep, a, keep an eye on Freddie Montero these last nine games. He has such a small sample size, but if he continues – every game he's played so far, he's had an impact four games in the first two games, obviously had two goals, three assists, but even in the the last two games and the two shutout losses, he's been some of the best, like one of the best white caps players in the LAFC loss. He came off the bench and worked hard and was very noticeable. And then against Portland, he had some great chances. I feel if he continues and through those nine games, he gets maybe four or five goals and adds in a few assists and just helps the white caps win games. I think he, you can make a, a shout for him to be over David Malinkovic because as good as David Malinkovic has been, he's, he's been, he's been, a, he, he doesn't have that game breaking ability that Freddie Montero has. And that's, or maybe he, he has it. Malinkovic does, but Freddie Montero just has it at this whole new level. When Montero is on his game, he can win the Whitecaps games on his own, as he showed, whereas Malinkovic, he's shown he can, will the team in a good direction, but can he win games on his own? At least he can at the same level as Freddie Montero. And you know what? That's not a disservice or a a lack of a, that's not to insult David Milankovic. Montero is a different class of a player and he's obviously super talented with him. It's just making sure he's engaged and he gets the ball and he gets the chances he needed. So I think if Milankovic keeps up the consistency he has, he's an MVP candidate, but just watch out for Montero. And that's why he's on, on the list as the third guy. But, I think that's pretty much all we have to say. Unless you you have any last words before we go to Rookie of the Year.
0: Well, yeah, just to add, I think that the reason Montero is on there as the the third nominee, um, albeit coming up short, is because you can see that pathway towards maybe a battle between Milinkovic and Montero for that end of season award. And obviously, if Freddie keeps up his current pace, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tight race. And no, I think the points you made about Montero are valid. He has that that high level quality and and can completely break a game open in a way that maybe Milinkovic can't quite do at this point. But uh, I think the more Milinkovic becomes, you know, comfortable in MLS integrated into the squad, maybe they get some better players, you know, around him, he can continue to improve as well. Like I don't think this is the final product or the best that David Milinkovic can play either. So I'm, I'm excited for this potential MVP race in a, in a season that you know has been missing some positive stories at times, so uh, congratulations to David Milinkovic for uh, picking up our third sub MVP. Yeah, award. Be in
1: contact with our reps, your uh,
0: your award will <laughs> will get arrive shortly. So uh, yeah, congratulations and uh, and hopefully you know all the best in keeping that up the rest of the season. But that that takes us pretty much to the uh, the rookie of the year award. Which is uh which is an interesting one. I mean, I think you've got a couple of you've got two really, really solid candidates, but but overall the rookies have been have been strong this season.
1: Yeah, well, for criteria, it's tough to gauge a rookie in pro soccer versus like say hockey, whereas in in, in hockey you play in the minors for a bunch of years, you're still a rookie, whereas someone like Ranko Veselinovic, he's only twenty one and he's technically an MLS rookie, but he's got what two or three, four years of pro, pro experience in Serbia under his belt. And that's just to use an example. But obviously if you look at the white caps, there are a few rookies, despite that Michael Baldissimo homegrown, this is his first professional season. Ditto with Thomas Sal and Patrick Metcalf. And then obviously there's the super draft pick Ryan Raposo and that pretty much rounds out the four, the four rookies on the roster for now. I mean, obviously there's Damiano Pasil and Simon Colin, who are both eligible Isaac Bomer, but none of them have played. So we can say they made the shortlist for, for you know maybe if they want to boost their future contracts with with that information they did make the shortlist. But it ultimately comes down to Michael Baldissimo, Thomas Asal, Ryan Reposo, and Patrick Metcalf. But to kind of to kind of start, I mean Patrick Metcalf probably is, is fourth for me, and that's not a slide on Patrick. He's been good when he's played. He just hasn't gotten the minutes unfortunately from Mark DeSantos. He's played by my track. He's he played against San Jose at MLS's back. He started a game against Toronto um, and then he came off the bench in one of the, one of the games. So he he has three or four appearances, three of them off the bench. He's, he's been good. I feel like he's been really, he's, he's a player that you see a good long-term future. He's someone that even though he's been a bit shy in games, he's still, he's a good passer of the ball. He's when he gets the ball, he knows what to do with it. He's, maybe he needs to get stuck in a bit more, but at his age, he just needs to keep growing and keep showing more, more of maybe what someone like Baldissimo, not to obviously Baldissimo, we're going to talk about in a sec, but maybe just show some of a a bit more guile that the other rookies have shown. But I guess, Sam, any, any words on Metcalf before going to the other three nominees?
0: I think the word I'd say on, on Metcalf is um, it's kind of interesting because at the, at the start of the year, even, even throughout early on in this season, Metcalf, in many ways, has the most MLS-ready game of any of those youngsters. Like, he's he's got a lot of a lot of good qualities. It's just getting that, and I think we saw when Michael Baldissimo came in, you know, Baldy maybe has a little bit more of the flair, a little more willingness to, you know, make himself a key Slide part of the match. Almost. What's that?
1: Like, like, he has that effort. Not an effort, but he has that, like, it, it's weird. It's, it's like an X factor almost. And some players, they just never get it. But I don't, I don't think with Metcalf he has it. He just needs to channel it. And cause we've seen it from him at other levels of the game. He just needs to show it at the MLS.
0: Level. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's kind of what I was saying in terms of Metcalf that I think he's, he's very capable of, you know, being a participant in an MLS match and not looking out of place. He's just got it. Now that he has that little bit of comfort level with it and he's gaining a little bit of experience now he can start to work on, okay, well, now I, I can play at this level. Now, how do I impact the match? And and I think he's going to get there. And, and, and so I'm positive long-term. But, yeah, in terms of the, the rookie of the year voting to this point, he's probably in, in fourth pa- place. But that's no slight, really.
1: Yeah, no, that's no slight at all. But moving on, I think, I think the third guy has to be Ryan Raposo. And for him – he, if he could be rookie of the year, and if he gets more minutes, he could be. Just unfortunately, it's kind of been just uh, just a dearth of minutes for the poor guy. He's Every time he's come off the bench, he's looked good, but I don't it's, know. I just, it's I so, so
0: spotty of- and inconsistent, right? I mean, I think he's what, he's made nine appearances and he's started one, and he's averaging, you know, then with that start, he's averaging 25 minutes per game, but it's actually it's actually kind of less than that overall because of most of those, you know, substitutes appearances being relatively short. So it's like just... five,
1: ten minutes.
0: It's just a guy who's struggling to find any consistency because of a lack of minutes. But I think that the signs are positive. He's still super young and... Uh, yeah, we, we've been advocating to see more of them. You know, Alex has been using the uh, Raposo at the 10 Klaxon for a while. So, uh, yeah, third just based on the lack of, the lack of minutes, but, but not necessarily because of lack of quality.
1: Here's all I have to say about Raposo, and then we can move on. I just think he was an excellent super draft pick. Like, I'm, I'm actually, if you're the White Cups, you have to be aesthetic. You, you, just if you look at some of the previous picks, Like, aside from maybe, like, I'm just thinking recently. Obviously, if you go back, there's interesting picks. Like, wasn't Kakuta Mane a draft pick and Darren Maddox and Omar Salgado? Like, interesting players, but ultimately, guys that never... They're they're just, like, someone like Mane was a really good pick. And I think what they did with them, they just... Maybe they moved on from him a bit early, but they did also feel like he was stagnating and he was going to go to Europe. And he did go to Europe, and then he came back. Like, his case was really complicated, but... With someone like Raposa, after seeing guys like Cole Seiler drafted, guys like Brendan McDonough, who are decent players, it's just 24, 25 year old center backs or fullbacks that you just really don't really need. Whereas to draft a 20 year old Canadian rookie who's got game breaking offensive talent and good pedigree in the first round, like that's such a good pick. And it's nice to see the Whitecaps pick up an offensive difference maker who is still has a lot of room to grow and it doesn't feel like after a year or two in the league he's already hit his ceiling and he's all of a sudden 26 he's still only 20 years old so i just say that's an excellent bit of business from the the white caps in the super draft and hopefully in their their pick, their next picks when they end up whatever they end up being if they make a pick he's the kind of player i'd want them to target obviously i don't mind if they target a defender or or, or someone like that it's okay but try to get a younger player if possible even get a canadian cuz May as well get a Canadian if you're gonna if you're gonna draft. There's there's enough Americans in the league. Sorry, I mean if if he's a good American, obviously go for it. But I'm just it was just a bonus to me for Raposo to be Canadian, and I think it's a start of a trend. You look at some of the guys that were drafted last year. You think of Alistair Johnson on, on Nashville. He's been really good. He's a young Canadian fullback who's eligible for the the Olympic team since he's under 23. You got Tajin Buchanan on new england they can target that kind of profile between raposo buchanan johnston i'm happy going forward if you're the white Caps in that in that draft but enough about raposo thomas has i mean we just talked do you have anything else to say about us before going on to, to baldissimo
0: no i don't think so i mean i think his his record this season speaks for itself and again you know obviously the full season award might look a little bit different because us is going to be out for the rest of the year but uh certainly a strong contender for this award at this juncture.
1: I I think so. And I mean it's tough because for me, I mean, Baldissimo, we can make, say a word for him, but I feel like for me, Hassal wins my rookie of the year award. I'm just gonna say that right now, but before we we obviously have to talk about Baldissimo. He's a, a bit of a late the the latest entrant of the of the four. Uh obviously Metcalf made his debut back in July, Raposo in February or in March or February it was Hassan made his back in July. But Baldissimo didn't play till late August when he played the impact. And he was brought on and he was with Baldissimo is just something about the quality and not only the quality he showed but how you he, he got stuck in. He wasn't shy. And that 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 mentality that he has is so it's 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 amazing to see from a youngster you do wonder why, because he was the one who was on the bench the longest of the four, because obviously Raposo is new to the club this year. Hassall only signed and got onto the bench this year and Metcalf, obviously, same thing as Hassal, but Baldissimo was signed to his homegrown contract the same time as Theo Bear in 2018, and he was on the bench last year, but Bear got his minutes. Baldissimo just never got in. Got in. He suffered an ankle injury. He's just been through so much, and I guess everyone kind of forgot the quality that was there. and if you'd seen him play in the young at the youth levels and at the with Canada the in the at the U twenty World Cup qualifiers, you know he's a good player. But you just had no idea with his size, would he be able to fit in? And he's thrown all of that out the window. And I think he's going to be a good long term piece for the Whitecaps, at least for the next two or three years. Because obviously, with MLS becoming a bit of a seller,s like you wouldn't be surprised if he moved on. But for him, it's Baldissimo, It's all just about how how big of an impact he's made right away. His impact that he's made is astounding. And I think if he continues his trajectory, obviously the last few games he's kind of lost his starting role a bit, I guess, you know, as he works through fatigue of his first MLS season. But th- that that peak of four or five games in the Canadian series really was just incredible. And even he's continued that a bit into to phase two of MLS play here.
0: Yeah, I mean, for similar to Thomas Assault, just the the quality you're getting out of a player that you maybe weren't expecting that much out of at the start of the year is is really quite remarkable. I mean, there's a guy that averages, albeit it's a small sample size, and so I think that's maybe, you know, part of the knock against against him you can make. But averaging one point two key passes per match. Um, he's averaging almost one successful cross per match, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for the Vancouver Whitecaps who really struggle in that department, it's a... Uh, he's provided some quality there. I mean, he's got he's got some good set-piece ability. He's got that wonder goal, obviously. And then he's also averaging 1.5 tackles per match. So, you know, backing up what you had to say, Alex, he, he gets stuck in defensively as well. He makes those recoveries. He makes those interceptions. And then he's got the, you know, he got the ability to play that line-breaking pass, that quality cross. Like, he's got the full toolbox. It's just a... It's just a matter of experience to a certain extent, and uh, I think for the only thing holding Baldy back at this point from winning the award is it's a little, it's a little bit less of a, of a finished product than Thomas Hassall. I mean, is despite the fact that Hassall's out for the rest of the year, you kind of go, okay, we well, can just plug Thomas Hassall in back there, and he's gonna put in a good shift. And I mean, to a certain extent with Baldissimo, you can say the same thing, but I just think there's a little more development, a little more finding his best role in the midfield, finding players that work around him. So in that sense, he's still got a little bit to figure out. And so just based on the, I think how huge of an impact Thomas O'Sall made when he came into the lineup, he has to win this rookie of the year award, but that's in any other season or in a in a more normal season where guys aren't thrust into action the same way, you know, Baldissimo would be a guy that would win. So uh, credit to both of those guys and obviously to Thomas, who said this before, but, you know, get better soon and and come back stronger because the Whitecaps could certainly use that. And and just shout out to uh, J.J. Adams, who did some good reporting yesterday and got a quote from Axel Schuster in terms of the goalkeeping situation. And Schuster said that, one of the three goalkeepers they have or at least the the top 3 Evan Bush, Max Croepo and Thomas Assall one of those three would not be back next year. Now I mean you can you can go down all kinds of crazy roads as to who's going to be the guy leaving but uh I think most you know most Whitecaps fans would hope it would be Evan Bush but uh but don't you know never say never it could be Max Croepo it could be Thomas Assall as well so just uh something to keep in mind.
1: Well, to add on, I mean First of all, Michael Baldissimo, Keep an eye out for him for the rest of the year. If he keeps playing, I think he he'll surpass us all. He could make a huge push. He'll, he'll he might surpass us all in our year-end awards. But to look to talk about what you just said quickly before we move on to the unsung hero, which is our next award. Uh, I mean, Evan Bush. Obviously, there might be a market with for him within MLS, depending on his salary and depending, for example, the expansion teams. And then you look at Maxime Crepo. According to uh, our, our, our local, probably our most uh, well-versed contact in BC for European soccer, Manuel Vett. he, he does say that there is a, a market for Maxime Crepo abroad. And when he says that, you you, you take his word for, for it, because he, he talks to a lot of big teams in, in Europe. And from my, my perspective, I just feel like there's a big market for Hassal because he played the game against SKC where he kept a clean sheet and, because Gianluca Busio was playing and uh, one other player on SKC my, his name escapes me or no actually no it was just Busio there were scouts from Mönchengladbach from Juventus all sorts of teams in attendance and without a doubt they probably saw his salt. and working in the Whitecaps favor is the Chichiro Adunze deal where he went to Leicester so they know that they produce good goalkeepers so I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of the three that they kind of go a direction I mean Hassall would make the most sense just because he might have the highest value and they move him on young and they, they still got Crepo and his prime locked up for a bunch of years at a good price. And they go with Crepo and Bush were good friends. Or obviously you move Bush, keep Hassal and Crepo for a year and see what to do with them. Or you move Crepo on and go Hassol and Bush, kind of the young, the young upstart and the the old veteran, but the one I, I, that was thrown out there, I just don't see happening as a Hassan loan. I think he's with his play, he proved this year that a loan to the, the CPL, for example, it just, I guess, it would be good for getting minutes, but he's good enough to play at an MLS level, at least. It's kind of like with someone like James Pentemis, who was excellent at the Island Games, but now with Evan Bush gone from Montreal, he's the backup. That's kind of where you feel like with Hassan. And you feel like Hassal's almost ahead of Pentemis just with these eight, nine games of experience he's got. So, that's kind of how I see it breaking down. But with, without further ado, Unsung Hero. And we have three three guys. And this is a tough award to gauge because it's obviously players you feel have been underappreciated. So it it, it was interesting because the guys we said for MVP candidates, guys like Derek Cornelius, Jake Nowinski, Kristen Dahomey, who were kind of on the fringes, but at the same time, that makes some great Unsung Hero Award candidates because – they were they've been really valuable to the team but maybe they don't get enough praise to win the MVP award or they don't get the same appreciation and I mean where do we start do we want to start with Dahomey, Norwinsky, Cornelius because we talk a lot about Cornelius Norwinsky, so maybe let's start with Dahomey to give some words on him I'll let you start with that Sam
0: yeah I think Dahomey you know he had a couple of a couple of questionable performances right off the bat or just I think particularly almost as much as anything like the, the, the few instances of kind of diving early on really hurt his rep a little bit where, where fans got on him and were, you know. And I think he also had to battle the, the Lucas Venuto last Bangura comparisons because I think, or, you know, even back to Christian Teixeira, right? Like there's, the, there's a kind of a diminutive winger expectation amongst vancouver whitecaps fans and so i think he's had to conquer that a little bit but this is a guy much like david milenkovich that has a a much more well-rounded game than maybe he gets credit for at times i mean not to bury the lead but he also leads the team in goal scoring i mean that doesn't doesn't say a lot in a year like this year where the the goal scoring has been been so spread out and so low overall but uh you know again 1.4 tackles per match like for a for a smaller winger that's uh that's impressive. I mean as much as the the partnership with Ranko, that one match where he played at right back was was ill-fated at least tactically. I thought that he really impressed defensively in one-on-one situations during that match. He's just he's provided a lot of qualities that the White Caps have lacked on the wing in the past. So that's that's certainly something to look for going forwards. He's also got this he has this nice little bit of chemistry now with Freddie Montero. It was a little bit missing last match, but those two seem to uh, seem to you know interplay well together, and and he does seem to have a habit for popping up in the right areas, in you know at important times in match, and and, and it feels like all three of the goals that he scored have been have been relatively key goals to the match. So uh, I, I think he's a yeah he's a very strong contender for for the young Sung player of the year the uh you know the the under the radar mvp so to speak because uh, as much as those two defenders that we've you know spoken about a lot jake Norwinsky and Derek cornelius make strong cases i think the the team defending's reputation over the course of this year maybe maybe hurts their case just a little bit and i think dahomey's for for better or for worse, been been undervalued in this market so far. So I think he's my award winner because of part of the partially because of the narrative out about him, and then also, you know, I can't I can't help but um, give a little bit of credit to the family situation he was dealing with throughout this year, and the fact that you know he hadn't seen his family in in several months, and and that great story that Axel Schuster shared about getting them back together so uh yeah i mean he's the leading goal scorer and no one talks about it so I, if that's not unsung i don't know what is yeah
1: that's that's a very good point and he's got like his goal against montreal was a match winner his goal against uh chicago wasn't the match winner but it was the match clincher and his third goal it was against san jose it was it should have been the match winner and it wasn't but it was a very big yeah. goal he, he pops so
0: up in big moments
1: he scores big goals. And he. what I like about Dahomey is he has, and it's similar with Milinkovic too, but obviously Milinkovic isn't very unsung. And it's what makes them such a unique winger pair. And it's good to see. they were. That's why I think they're good building blocks on the wing going forward for the Whitecaps. It's how consistent they are. Even in a game where they're not maybe feeling the touch or they're not able to take guys on, they still make a difference defensively. Dahomey is always, he's got a great work rate. He gets stuck in. He, he knows how to link up with his teammates. And for wingers, you're just not used to seeing that consistency. Yeah, at least if you're, if you're used to watching the Whitecaps. Wingers of past, such as Kakuta Mane and Christian Teixeira, absolutely drive you up the wall. Game win game out with one day where they'll look like MLS MVP. And the next day, they'll look like Average Joe from Andy Livingston. Like, Dahomey is just so consistent. And he, he deserves praise for that. And for me, that's why he's... He, he deserves an unsung hero. You could just start him any game of the year, and you know he has this minimum level that you know what you're going to get. Whereas some of the other wingers, it always feels like there's this huge window of opportunity and a l- very low ceiling and a high and uh, sorry, low floor and a high ceiling. Whereas Dahomey, he's got a high floor, but he's also got a pretty high ceiling, which is exactly what you want from a winger. But moving on, Jake norwinski he's an interesting one because. I, it i don't think there's a player now on, on on the white caps that is more polarizing than him like it feels like if you tw- if you tweet for example a good jake norwinski thing or a positive one or a negative one you got half the people just saying oh you're so right or the other half are just like you're off you're absolutely off your rocker is there is there a, a player on the white caps right now that is more polarizing than that
0: Well, I think it was, what was it? The all caps podcast that just absolutely came after you for your takes on Nerwinski, which would they, and the response wasn't very well substantiated. It was just kind of like, Oh, well, Jake's not good, which is, I think a lot of the, again, it's, it's, it's so narrative driven, right? Because I think it's, it all comes down to that rookie year and, you know, him being an offensive creator and, and being an, you know, being the, the assist master that David Malinkovich now is. And the fact that he hasn't been able to live up to that reputation or expectation, you know, I think the fact that he's not averaging 10 assists per year in MLS is, you know, has some people feeling short somehow, but I think his, his defensive game this year specifically has improved massively in comparison to anything we'd seen before. And to me, it's just Nerwinski as a as a super draft pick, and now as a long tenured Whitecaps player, he provides that. Yeah, is he is he the best player on the Whitecaps? Absolutely not. Like I don't think Jake would say that, but he provides I think exactly what you want from a you know a standard kind of run of the mill fullback. Like he he's a quality defender. He has. You know, he offers something going forward. He's athletic. He can. He's durable. You know, he he has all those qualities you want, and I think he's continuing to make little little tweaks of improvements to his game. His his work rate's great. He's got you know good leadership abilities. He's a vocal guy on the team. He does great work with the the, the players union. So, uh, you know, just all around a a good story, I think, and uh, and the individual performances has backed it up this year. So, I mean, people can you know, people can come at it with whatever narrative takes they want. I mean, maybe they they expect someone who's, you know, lighting the world on fire. But at, at the same time, I think you have to, you know, you have to set your sights realistically and not every player on the squad can be the MVP or the, you know, the flashy player on the team.
1: Well, I guess eventually before the season's up, I want to make some charts and compare Nerwinsky to some of his counterparts in MLS to see, to get, kind of get an idea of, you know how, how how he stacks up and it maybe I'll, I'll do that and I'll find out that he is a very below average mls fullback maybe that's the case but just from what I've seen from him and how he's played consistently and def- his defensive impact he racks up the tackles the interceptions he's usually in a good position he's just been yeah he's been good maybe he you want a bit more offensively there i think jake norwinski wants a bit more offensively from himself but at the very least he's a good fullback when he plays in mls and maybe in the dream world the White Caps get an upgrade at right back and it's a platoon with him and Ner- that guy in norwinski or obviously there's all- also george Mukumba who's also a really good shout i'd want to see him get more minutes but i think Nerwinsky at the very least is a good rotation piece but he's also competent enough to be a starter on a pretty regular basis so he's he's, he's definitely fits the criteria of unsung for me he's just take he's taken a big step forward this year defensively and he's a right back, like as much as you want him to go out and get 10 assists, like his job is to defend. And for a white caps team that struggles at defending, he's for the most part, he's had a few mistakes. If to be fair, who hasn't had a few mistakes on this white caps back line, but he's m- mostly kept them to a low and he's found a way to just consistently impact games. But the last guy for me, Derek Cornelius. And I mean, it's probably, he's probably going to be my winner from being honest before I state my case, but what an interesting season for him. I mean, last year he came in, he had a nightmare of a start playing left back, and, he, and then he finally, eventually, as the season got went along, he got to play in his nat- natural role. I say that he's technically been a striker for most of his life, but his natural role of center back. He's grown into it. Into it. He's become a good center back by the end of last season. You were a bit excited with him heading into this year. He was the day one starter with the Aster Kamiri with Eric Cadoy's injury. They struggle. Cornelius is the one to come out. Rose and Kamiri go go in together. They keep a clean sheet in LA. And then we then they come back from MLS's back, and then Ranko Vasilinovic is obviously in the fold, and uh, DeSantos goes with Vasilinovic and good and uh, Kamiri, and Kamiri struggles, and then Cornelius gets thrown in, and he hasn't lost his place since. And I think there's a reason for that even when the whitecaps defense struggles it's hard to see times where cornelius is at fault i think his only bad game this year is the six nil lafc game and maybe that's give best credit to him that the one game that he was bad the whitecaps defense completely capitulated like i feel like that kind of gives you an idea of how important and how consistent he's been that even when the whitecaps leak chances and they, and they bleed xg as they've done all year he's always there making big blocks big tackles big headers he's just got a complete defensive game and yes, sometimes he's a bit nervy on the ball and he doesn't use his passing abilities to the best of his, to the best of his quality. But at the same time, defensively, he does everything you ask of him and more. And I think for that, he's just the solid number two guy in MLS. He's like the, he's like the dream support center back in MLS. He's shown that last year when playing with, daniel henry now i think going forward if you play him with eric godoy it's just the perfect pairing because as we said on the last show eric godoy is a borderline top 10 mls center back in terms of potential and quality and even a borderline top five and if you have him as your one guy and then if cornelius is your number two guy you're you're set as at the center back position and for that reason i think cornelius has to be my unsung hero
0: yeah, you make a you make a very good case and I might I might be recycling a lot of those arguments in a minute or two, but for me I think I want to give credit to someone who I think has battled against a narrative and really overcame that and I think played quite well despite the fact that he's maybe not rated at the level he should be and that's Christian Dahomey. So, I, I as much as I agree with everything you said about Cornelius, I don't think there was as much there wasn't as much outspoken, you know, criticism of Cornelius. Maybe people weren't as high on him as we were, but he—I don't think anyone, you know, had issues with Derek Cornelius at center back. And I think that Dahomey had a lot to overcome coming into this season. And so for me, he's, uh, you know, other than the fact that he leads the team in goals, he's the uh, he's the unsung hero for me. But that uh that takes us to the defender of the year, or at least defender of the year so far, and we have uh two of the same candidates, and really we struggled for a third. So Alex uh, you want to get into that?
1: Derek Cornelius, Jake Norwinski, Andy Rose. I mean
0: I mean, so Andy Rose partially because you know who else has played. Consistently Ranko
1: Rank you know, I guess Ranko's a
0: shout. I mean, Ali Adnan's not going to win any defensive awards, and Christian Gutierrez hasn't played enough and hasn't been consistent enough. So Andy's kind of in there. I mean, he's the ultimate squad platoon depth player, right? I mean, he's had some... He's had a couple poor performances but overall he's been pretty good and I, you don't have to look too much further actually than against Portland I mean was very very lively and active in that one and he's had some quality performances as well so I think he deserves deserves a little shout there but really it's down to the two guys we already just talked about which is Derek Cornelius and Jake Norwinski and so Alex how do you kind of see the uh the battle between those two in terms of who should win defender of the year up until this point and obviously the the criteria you look for in a fullback versus a center back. It's a little bit different.
1: It's hard to compare, but ultimately I think I have to just give it to Cornelius because he's made that big impact. He's helped. He's been in for the white caps have kept three clean sheets this year. He's been in for two of them. And yeah, I just feel like when he's on his game, he brings the stability to the backline and it's, I don't know. It's hard to explain. And Norwinsky I think is also a good piece and he's, he's shown that, he can be a part of the best white caps defensive back four, which I do think if we're looking at Norwinski, Godoy, Cornelius, and one of Adnan or Gutierrez right now, I think that's the best defensive back four. And that's credit to Norwinski that he's been a part of that one. Someone like Daniel Bakel could also slot in for him, that someone like Eric Godoy could go in for him, that he's battled through that and kept his place. So I think I think that can't be understated. It's just, what Cornelius has done his body of work the amount of pressure that the center backs faced because of the lack of midfield pressure and sometimes even fullback pressure not to blame it it does seem to stem more from the left side sometimes when Adnan's playing and he's not on his game which is a side Cornelius plays making it even harder for him for all those reasons I think it's Cornelius but Norwinski's a close second kind of similarly maybe on my unsung ballot I kind of have Cornelius and Nerwinski really close one two and Dahomey third I think it's the same for defender of the year Cornelius Nerwinski, and Rose a a a bit behind in number three
0: yeah um, I can't I can't disagree with you there I really wanted to give Jake an award because I I think that I've been really impressed with the way he's performed this year and kind of battled through from from some of the stories and you know narratives people were saying to, to get rid of him and to move on at the end of last year. And so I think the way Jake's performed has been really admirable. But ultimately, you look at the, and I know I've said this before on the podcast, but you look at the improvement of Derek Cornelius from the beginning of last year up until where he is now, and it's it's truly remarkable and I think not not necessarily talked about enough. And he's just been the steadiest hand back there for the Whitecaps this season, which says a lot because it hasn't been a steady defensive team at many points and they're, they're constantly inundated with pressure. I mean, this is the team that holds the least possession in MLS. So you're doing a lot of work defensively. And Derek's had a lot of nights where he hasn't been that noticeable, which is really, really good considering how much pressure the Whitecaps are put under and for a young guy, young Canadian to continue to just quietly improve. And I think as you, you said pretty much perfectly, Alex, he's the, the prototypical kind of Robin to a Batman at center back kind of guy, right? Like he's that perfect sidekick to a, a star center back like Eric Godoy. And that's not to, that's not to take anything away from Derek at all, but it's just more his style. He's a bit more, reserve just kind of make subtle little little moves you know keep good position not do anything you know with a ton of flair super flashy but just always in the right place at the right time and so I'm very excited for that combination of Godoy and Cornelius if we see it more in the second half of the year and and this is one award for sure that I feel like Cornelius is still going to be a very strong candidate, if not the winner, of Defender a year by the time we reach the end of 2020. But
1: watch out for Godoy, obviously, because he's played. He's started, what, three games, two of them at right back. He's only made one start at center back. Keep an eye on Godoy. If he plays regularly, this could easily be his award by a landslide. But that's just credit to credit to Cornelius. He's what I like about him is how versatile he is. He's he just adapts to the partners he's with. If he's got to play a high line, he can play a high line. If he's got to sit back, he's got to sit back. So yeah, just solid all around. But moving on, this one was a very interesting uh, category because we were obviously some of the categories, there was a lot of overlap, like some, something like breakout player of the year. It was hard to really pick a clear breakout player of the year. And maybe in another year we'd have that award. But the one we came up with was departure of the year. And this one is the player that they missed the most that, that left and. That was an interesting list of players, but the, ultimately after much deliberation, the three departures we came up with were Inbam Huang, Felipe Martins, that one's going to be a hot take, and Michael's Chirinos, which is another one because he only played like five games for the Whitecaps. But boy, where do we start with that? You want to start with, with Chirinos?
0: Well, actually, you know what I want to do is I want to bring up someone else who we don't have on the list. Uh, just quick shout out to John Arise. Because I think that, you know, i I just we talked about this several times, at least privately and maybe not in the podcast. He was just this is a good player that didn't fit what Mark DeSantis wanted, didn't fit the system. And I think actually this year, with Owusu, with Bakel, with Baldissimo, maybe there might've been a spot for John or so he's not going to win my, my departure of the year, but I just, I think there's an argument to be made if he was making a little bit less money and he was playing with some of the midfielders, the white caps have now that he could have had more of an impact. So I don't know. He was just a guy I enjoyed watching both on the training pitch and when it was, he was in the matches. So uh shout out to John hope he's doing well, but uh yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll let you kick it off with some of these other guys. I, I certainly have my pick and 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 my thoughts on this. But, yeah, uh, sorry for the diversion, but I'll kick it to you to start off.
1: I mean, it's tough because I feel like on pure quality, inbom wins this. But at the same time, like the Whitecaps, yes, they could use a player of his profile. But, I mean, the only qualm I have is that they didn't play him at the 10 maybe. And that could have... And he's playing at the ten in Russia. So they is an argument, but if you're looking at a player they missed, it's tough. I think Chirinos to go first, he didn't play. He was he was here for a good time, definitely not a long time. Scored a winner against LA Galaxy that was pretty memorable. Had a few good games. For him, it, it's just been tough. I mean, Sam mentioned a pre-show, and he was doing a bit of in-depth research. Chirinos' last game was with the Vancouver Whitecaps on October 7th, 2019, it is October 1st, 2020, as of recording. He hasn't played in basically 358 days or something like that. Like, that's ridiculous. Obviously, the deal would have been cheap. And you just wonder, because the Whitecaps could use winger depth right now. I think, had they not signed Milinkovic as a Torinos replacement, the Chirinos department would have looked really a departure, sorry, not department, would have looked really tough. But Malinkovic and Dahomey is signing soft in that blow. And they have Theo Bear, they have Ryan Raposo who can play there. It's not a, a position where they're thinking, oh, Chirinos would have changed the game. But considering they still could use another decent mid to high level winger at a good price, and Chirinos definitely fits that, you do wonder if he could have been a good part of this winger corpse. And he, he plays the way Mark DeSantos likes his wingers to play. He likes to cut inside. Defensively, he's, seems to be, he doesn't have the work rate of a Dahomey Milinkovic, but he is pretty competent. You do just wonder with him. It was, it was it's tough because he was here for such a short time but i do wonder what he can bring sometime and i did explore that in the off season when uh he was it was unsure if he was going to return or not
0: yeah trinos is a is an interesting player and i think as you uh, you couldn't have put it better i think if you if you'd missed out on one of either christian Dahomey or devin milinkovic then that would have been a real loss but i think you've kind of it's been much easier to forget about him because of those two additions and they they all do have kind of similar profiles, so in that sense, it felt like a bit of a like-for-like like swap. The other guy to talk about is uh, Felipe Martins, and uh, that's a tough one. You know, I, I tried to, I really actually tried to make a a good case for him, but then looking at some of the stats and the underlying numbers for this year, I mean, so obviously he's injured at the moment, but in the matches he played, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of Russell Tybert esque, right? It's just, there's, it's solid shifts in the midfield, good passing accuracy numbers, but ultimately not a lot of, not a lot of game changing quality. And so I do think there would have been a place for Felipe on the squad this year. And maybe he provides, you know, he could have provided at times when the white caps midfield was completely overrun. He could have provided a little bit of, you know, a little bit of solidarity there, but, um, I don't think I can uh I can pick Felipe either for the for the biggest loss.
1: Yeah, I think twenty last year's Felipe with DC United, he was I mean, they made the playoffs. He was starting every game on a good team. Obviously it helps they had Wayne Rooney. And mm. I think DC's been hurt by the fact they lost Rooney, this and Acosta, their two best players this offseason. They just haven't looked good. Gressel, for example, which was supposed to be a good signing, is not He just hasn't adapted well. Uh, Edson Flores has was injured and they just didn't mesh and Felipe unfortunately didn't make the same impact. I feel like 2019 Felipe so like the last few months with DC makes a shout for a kind of player they could have used. But ultimately I have to agree with you there. Now I feel like someone to give a shout out, a fourth nominee, Daniel Henry does definitely has to sneak in, but with him, he's hurt by the fact that the white caps have so many good center backs. It feels like you're not too, you're, worried about, you're not looking at his departure being like he leaves a big hole. Obviously, with the midfield being as it is and the winger depth being a bit thin, it puts Chirinos, Felipe, and Inbaum kind of ahead of Henry. But ultimately, yeah, late 2019, Felipe maybe gets gets my vote. But I'm, I think for me, it's going to have to come down to Chirinos or Inbaum Huang. And Inbaum's a tough one because we talk about it. Obviously, here he was, he didn't bring the quality that we, we'd expected of him. And it's tough to watch him to, to go to Russia and dominate He's got what, like he's every game he's played and they've won. He's got like two or three goals and like three or four assists. Uh, he's just been really good. But he's been in this unique free role as a number ten, where he's basically just allowed to run around. Which after Vancouver, where he had to defend too much, it's like the complete antithesis of a role. And you do wonder now with Bakel and Awusu and Baldissimo, and and now a number ten in a four-two-three-one, could Inbaum have been a number ten? for the white cast for the rest of the year you do wonder but ultimately if you're looking at this from a pure quality standpoint Inbum certainly would would be the, the the winner here but Chirinos also does get a shout for me.
0: Yeah, I mean the whole Invom conundrum is a is a difficult one, right? Because I I think, you know, questions are are being are being posed about what is the true quality of the Russian league and is this, you know, is this representative, but man, Russian in has been, has been a force to be reckoned with. I mean, what he started, started three matches of the five he's played in. He's got, you know, a goal and two assists. Then I think he's also got like a goal and assist in the Asian cup. He's just been, he was averaging 4.3 key passes per match at one point. Like you see Steve Hahn on Twitter, just posting, I think there was a back heel assist, and then there's like a a volley goal, just you know all kinds of highlight reel stuff, all the stuff you were promised as a white caps you know supporter or follower when inbaum was signed, and literally none of that we saw during his white cap's tenure other than maybe the odd flash, and then all of a sudden he's you know pulling all the tricks out of the box in russia so he is despite the fact that I have very mixed views about it he is the uh you know, the biggest departure in my estimation. The, the question is, though, do those qualities translate to to the Whitecaps, Whitecaps and Caps. to playing on turf and to not playing as a number 10? Like, all these things are questions. And so much like a, a John Orise or a Felipe, it might be great to, you know, see them have a certain level of success elsewhere but the question is, would that work within the white Cap squad? And that's obviously a huge question. But just for the way in bomb's been lighting it up in Russia, no matter how you to. feel about that, he's the biggest departure.
1: He has, dude. I think just ultimately, since Chirinos hasn't played, that hurts him. Fully, Which sucks injury. for
0: him. Like, uh, why, could he not he come back on loan to the white caps or something just to get some match experience? Like, It feels like that. That's that's a weird one for sure. And maybe maybe my research is wrong, and we're missing something. But I don't think so.
1: Well, I'm trying to think because didn't Olympia play in Champions League this year? But I don't know. Yeah, but he didn't. He he didn't make an appearance
0: in that match.
1: Okay, so yeah, in that case, I don't. Mm, That's tough for him. But
0: I think it's supposed to moving
1: on. You can. You can.
0: It looks like it's supposed to start. Maybe their season's supposed to start soon. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm seeing. Must so I be, think they're I, they're, I think they're in preseason at the moment, or they're just ramping up.
1: Anyways, L- lastly, that's a,
0: That's a, It's a subject for another day. But
1: lastly, shout out for departure of the year. I think the runaway winner. You just can't win because it's unfair. How much of a runaway winner he True. would be, Mark Panis. Yeah. We, shout we, shout out, you to Mark. Mark. You're you were, you're were a great voice. You're Lovely to talk to, just entertaining on Twitter. Vancouver misses you. If you ever come back, claim this, claim this award from us because uh, it, it's yours to, to, to definitely to win. But if in terms of pure playing performance, uh, Inbam Huang, step on up. But this brings us to our last individual or second last individual award, last individual player award. We do have goal of the year and game of the year after this, but third sub of the year. <laughs> So far the half season, and this one's a tough one to gauge because it's kind of a player if he starts a lot is hurt in his rankings. If uh, you know, a third, a good third sub is someone who comes on creates chaos be it a goal, a tackle, a yellow card, a, a good sprint. Like the bar for being a good third sub of the year is so unique because someone who comes on the field runs up and down the field three times could be as good of a third sub as someone who comes in and scores a hat trick in three minutes like the bar is so unique but ultimately after much deliberation we came down to three names and it's it's gonna be tough i actually i have a surprise winner i think because we have to saint the the ultimate super sub he won an mls cup as a super sub he's got the pedigree of this this three of this trio you got Ryan Raposo, the youngster who's played eight of his nine games off the bench as a sub. Like that, that, that's very. He, he he gets subbed in a lot. Like you call 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 the guy Quiznos because he's all about the subs. But you got Theo Bear, who's started a few more games than either of the three, but he's he's made a decent amount of 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 performances off the bench. And it's interesting with him because. He's a good example of what a third sub can do with his work off the bench. He kind of leveraged it into a good starting role, a decent starting role. So, I mean, Sam, who do we want to start with or what do we have to say about those three? I'll let you go first on this one.
0: Oh man, I yeah, this is a I don't know if I took it quite as quite as seriously as you. I mean, I'm kind of looking for for the player who comes in off the bench and, you know, kind of embodies that that third sub aura where they they kind of you know come on run around a little bit and don't don't get that involved and uh both to saint ricketts and i i think theo bear comes third in this one for me more because he's trended towards being a starter and had some impacts as a starter so that's that's not necessarily taking away from him as a person or player that's just the reality of how he's kind of been used in the squad so for me it came down to to saint ricketts and uh and ryan Raposo and i think normally like toss is the toss is the true embodiment in the third sub right like that's that's his role as a player and that's and, and that's kind of special and he definitely provides something but i was looking at the stats on uh on ryan riposo and you know as you mentioned he's only started one of the nine matches he's come in in and The thing for me that really stood out is I was looking at total touches for both Toss St. Ricketts and Ryan Raposo, and I think Toss is averaging like 12 or 13, 14 touches a match. Ryan Raposo is averaging just 11.9 touches per match, and he still managed in that to average, I mean, I know it's not a lot, but 0.2 key passes per match, which, I mean, given how tiny the sample size is, like, goes to show he can create, I mean, he's passing at a rate of 87%, he's He's got some kind of like, I mean, I don't know if you can say sneaky good underlying numbers because he he's, you know, so rarely involved, but I think just based on the, the ratio of impact or positive things we've seen in comparison to how little he's actually involved in matches, I mean, as much as anything, Ryan Raposo, more than anyone this season, has come on in matches where he's expected to just run for 15 minutes and not really impact the match at all. And so for that, he wins my mid season third sub of the year award, not necessarily stole my thunder. I was going to surprise yeah, with the not, Ryan Raposo. Not because that's what I think either of us want to see out of Reposo, but just because he's really embodied all those things we joke about with the third sub up until this point. And uh Hey, I've been a big advocate. I want to see more of Toss Saint Ricketts off the bench. I think he's been underutilized in his role to this point. So, if we're projecting long term at the end of the season, if Toss gets in, maybe scores a couple goals off the bench as a third sub, he he's still the front runner, I think, for the end of season award. But up until this point, Raposo's really uh, filled in that role quite well. Well, Toss
1: Saint Ricketts. In a few, when he retires, makes our third sub hall of fame, I think, For without sure. a doubt. But, but Ryan Raposo has to win. He's just embodied it and he needs more minutes. Poor guy. But the fact that he consistently has to come in, only gets like 10 or 11 touches, somehow completes a bunch of dribbles, gets chances. His, like, he's just got good underlying metrics. Like, I don't know how he's done it, but if a guy can look good all the time in 10, 15 minutes of play without touching the ball, like, start the man. Like, the only time he started, to... Which is inf- extremely infuriating. is It was in a 5 3 2 against SKC where he was at the top with, with Theo Bear. Or was it? No, sorry. It was a 5 3 2 against Chicago where he was up top with Theo Bear, which in a role where neither of them touched the ball and Raposa was subbed off first. And poor guy had like no touches. So he's just been kind of just not screwed over because obviously he's a rookie playing in MLS. He's been, gotten a lot more minutes than most rookies get. But at the same time, or at least appearances, maybe not minutes, but he's definitely one who's just been unlucky. I think, for example, a Canadian Championship would have been great for him this year to get a bunch of good run of minutes. And just the way the fixture list has been, he's just been unfortunate. But hey, Ryan, you might not have won a Rookie of the Year, but you got the third sub of the year. And before we move on to the Goal of the Year and Game of the Year, I think we'll put this we'll put this all up on our Twitter account. Like we'll put a poll for each of our awards. And maybe leave it up for like a day or two and we'll retweet it with, with our accounts and try to get as many votes as possible because so we are curious to see how how other people project our votes because maybe we're completely lost it or we've we've missed the mark with some of these but i am curious to hear from the listener so if you have twitter we'll post it on our socials and we'll let you uh let you vote for a day or two and see what you guys think for all of this but that leaves us two things we'll, we'll go through these decently quick as this has been a, a decently long awards show, but as they always are. But next, goal of the year. And that one was surprisingly tough to pick three,
0: there actually, three awards no, for. but you know sorry, there the are the goal actually, of the mid-season. There saying. actually have... is Okay, so, yes, it's, it's a difficult season. There's a lot of goals, mediocre goals. But there are three, I think we've picked, three really quality goals. At least, you know, maybe it doesn't have that top top high-end level quality but three wow factor three really solid goals that i think are good contenders for this one for me it was still a slam dunk but uh but yeah without further ado you got baldissimo versus toronto i mean that that absolute screamer you got the celebration as well the you know the aerial theatrics
1: first mls goal too
0: first first MLS goal then you've got Adnan versus San Jose I mean I know for for a lot of you that's a well for us too I mean it's it's been a long time since that goal but if you recall it's it's kind of a prototypical Adnan goal where he where he cuts in from a wide position and curls a shot around the goalkeeper so that one certainly from the kind of the reverse angle where you see the ball curling into the corner it was quite a nice shot and then you've got third, we, we kind of batted back and forth some ideas. There were, you know, a couple Cavallini goals that were maybe like good team buildups that could count. But we settled on Theo Bears' tough angle shot versus Montreal for our third nominee.
1: I think that's a fair, fair, fair list. I, I think... think. It's tough because you look at last year, you don't have some of the goals like Theo Bear's Worldy against Portland or Inbaum's Volley against Cincinnati and some of the other nice goals that were scored. But it was tough because I think there was two that stood out. was Baldissimo and then Adnan. And then after that, there was a bunch of different goals. Like, it was tough to figure out which one was the best. And ultimately, Theo Bear rounded our list just because of how ridiculous that run and finish was and that ball from Malinkovic. And it was just a good team goal. But I think baldissimo wins comfortably just because the moment how spectacular how quickly he got the shot off and Westberg's a good goalkeeper whereas and then against daniel vega like again not it, poor it is
0: daniel vega sorry poor, poor,
1: poor daniel vega like he, he gets dragged more in a vancouver Whitecaps podcast than he probably does in some other podcast but sorry daniel vega i'm sure you're a great guy but unfortunately just you you, you didn't do your your you didn't have exactly the most uh confidence-inspiring moment in there on, against adnan and, and bear against his goal too was against a great goalie in claim Diab. diop so i think for me it's baldissimo number one bear number two just because of the finish and having a strike as a striker myself or a former striker at least that is boy that just watching that sort of finish was just it was just visual pleasure to me just seeing that angle and how he struck it. and he's got like big feet too to wrap your foot around the ball the- what he did it was just spectacular and adnan i mean it was a great goal to cut in on your weak foot and spank it as he did i think he's a, he's a close number three i think it's pretty tight like baldissimo is a fair bit ahead but bear isn't that that far behind and adnan is very close to bear as well i think not much else debate to be had Cavallini is also a very good honorable mention for that team goal versus toronto with 20 or 20 plus passes and some other goals but Hopefully there are some goal lassos to talk about in the last nine games so we have a true true debate in uh, at the end of the season.
0: yeah, I mean this one was pretty easy. first of all, I mean just visually Baldissimo's goal is the nicest of the year. then you've got the fact that it's his first goal in MLS. then you've got the fact that he does the flip celebration, which I think adds some extra you know bonus marks. You've got the fact that it came in a win. you got the fact that it came in a win against Toronto. You have the fact that it came in a win against Toronto in Toronto. I mean, you just stack all these things on top of each other. That is undoubtedly the goal of the year so far. And I think, you know, if the Whitecaps continue playing the way they are, that that may still reign champion at the end of the year. Hopefully we get some really good contenders to go up against it. But, yeah, that one's a, that one's a slam dunk, and I think I'm with you, Alex. Theo's goal comes second. Maybe it was just because we got to see that one in person, so that that taints our perception a little bit and gives us a little favoritism towards that goal. And then Adnan's Adnan's goals in third, and you know you hope that you see a couple more of those from Ali throughout the rest of this year.
1: Fingers crossed. But that leaves us with game of the year. That's our last one. This was tough because we it was a mix of entertainment value, but also the meaning of the game. And when looking, I think it's. It's surprising. There's one I see. I, I, maybe we should have slipped it in was the win versus the Galaxy just because of the timing at the beginning of the year. And it was a pretty dramatic win to win last minute. And the it was just an entertaining game. So I do feel like we missed out on that. But our three so nominations, ultimately, the game versus San Jose.
0: That's a it, bit of the it, challenge. It, it was a special
1: right? game. I don't know. I feel like it was a special game. We should have gave it more love. But the three we came up with, White Cap San Jose. Obviously, the White Caps lose. But... If we're gonna go based off White Cap's wins, there's only five games to choose from. So to make an interesting front at uh, top three, like the San Jose game was so entertaining and for the wrong reasons. There was shocking defending from both teams. The game was wide open. You have the 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 Dahomey Reyna Own mix up where they were two on 0 for half of the field because San Jose decided to throw everyone in the box. You have Daniel Vegas horrible turnover to make it three-one white caps, you think the game's over san jose scores three goals at the end there's an offside goal at least a goal that's borderline offside there's a goal where shea Salinas turns into lino Messi. like it had it all it was it was just pure chaos and it was probably the most mls's back game of mls's back the fact that the white caps had three goals on two shots on target super entertaining and then the next two are the white caps win versus toronto fc it was just an entertaining game against one of the best teams in mls the white caps were on a huge shutout streak they scored three goals but not only really that. Lucas Cavalini scores his first. First, Toronto scores. Whitecaps get their lead back via Baldissimo Screamer. Toronto FC ties it and comes close to getting a lead. And then the Whitecaps win via Jake Norwinski winner. And they hold on at the end. Very entertaining game. And then lastly, Whitecaps Chicago. 6 a.m. PST. Just an absolute way too early. You wake up. Terrible game. The Whitecaps are getting absolutely their, face, their teeth kicked in. Thomas Assal is keeping them alive. In the 60th minute, they need two goals. It's nil-nil. Lightning strikes. You're out for two hours. You know, no idea when the game's going to restart. They come back within five minutes of coming back in. They score the two goals they need to advance. They hold on a VAR disallowed goal because CJ Sapong punched the ball. Like that game had it all as well. So those are our three. Those are all very entertaining for multiple reasons. And honestly, I don't know how I'm going to pick this because how how do we pick that game of the year? Like
0: okay well I mean, do you want do you want me to I'll break it down at least how I saw it in my head so okay, yes, go for it. San Jose match very entertaining but ultimately a white caps loss and like so many so many things that went wrong or went poorly really for both teams so as much as the entertainment value of that one was very high I can't it, it, it's my third place finisher so then it's down to, in my opinion, what was you have one being the most important match or like the most significant match for the Vancouver Whitecaps this year. And you have the match in which the Whitecaps probably played their best football of the year. And so I think that TFC match, you know, you're going up in Toronto against a full strength TFC lineup. And this is a team that's on a massive run of form, I think, unbeaten in, what, 16 matches or something like 19 that?
1: 19 games, they were approaching an MLS record.
0: Yeah, it was an obscene run of form, so to, to score a couple really nice goals, to respond to you know, TFC coming back at you and to get a late match winner, I think that is the, that's the peak of you know any level the Whitecaps have played at this year, but it's not my game of the year.
1: I think it has to be Chicago, just it's because Chicago. of the fact that they they were undermanned. They were missing seven or eight regulars. They'd lost their starting goalkeeper the night or a few nights before. I, I can see that. I see the shot. I think Chicago is also going to be it's, my vote. It's but the fact.
0: It's the fact that it's so it's so memorable. The from the getting up at six a.m. to the you know lightning literally striking in order for the Whitecaps to stage a miraculous escape from the group stage. You know was it the it was probably some of the poorer football <laughs> the white caps have played all year, football. but it didn't matter it was It was such a memorable match it you know the white caps have when over the last you know couple of years have the white caps played a match that really you know got them something and advanced them forwards like like this match did getting them out of the group stage i think it was it was a special day and it was it was just all the all the kind of circumstance and and banter and stuff that came with it was uh, was uh, worth the price of admission for me and and so that's just from at least how memorable it was and how significant it was to the club at the time at least it's my game of the year although I will give credit that TFC match. Was the best football the white caps have played so far this year. So I can understand why it's a real at least
1: offensively offensively. I'll say defensively sure. it wasn't good, but yeah.
0: okay, but the best maybe, you know, at least that was a you the white caps could play that way and win against a lot of MLS teams because I think you yes, have they had better defensive performances? Sure, but it's rarely been coupled with a a good offensive performance as well. So that felt like closest to a platform for success because if you cleaned up a couple of the individual errors in that match then you actually have something that really resembles a pretty decent football team
1: well I think for me if you're talking most balanced performance galaxy game just because how well they defended they keep a clean sheet they had their chances like that was a clinical road game MLS game I think if you're looking at a complete performance just ultimately like For example, the Montreal win is complete, but it was against 10 men. So it's, yeah, can't can't nominate
0: that one as much as you might like to.
1: So I think Galaxy, when if you're talking complete, yes, Toronto FC, if you're talking entertaining and just offensively competent and just the kind of, yeah, entertaining Toronto, if you're talking pure chaos, San Jose, and if you're talking most memorable, definitely Chicago. So I think Chicago gets my vote. Just, yeah, the fact that it was Hassel's full debut, that they had to loan a guy from Montreal, basically Jonathan Sirouf, straight out of the academy to just sit on the bench for for them, because they had no goalkeepers left, and just they had so many injuries, they were missing Cavallini, Montero, Rose, Mokimbe, I think at that point they obviously they lost Crepo, the injuries were building up, it was just a memorable game for many reasons, but I think on that note, that's enough for awards, I mean, congrats to, to all winners, and that was the 2020 BTS mid or BTS third sub mid season awards. But yeah,
0: well, yeah. Congrats to all the award winners, and uh, I'd encourage you after after listening to the show, if you you can go seek out those polls on Twitter and and submit your own votes, and we'll we'll see if the popular vote in any way resembles what we've chosen, and uh, that'll be interesting to check out. But that kind of leads us to. The Whitecaps match this weekend, Saturday night in Seattle. And uh, Alex, initial thoughts, expectations out of this one? I mean, Seattle's a a force to be reckoned with at the top of the Western Conference. So I, I think the the bar of expectations set relatively low. But uh, thoughts as we head into this one?
1: Away from home, uh, it's tough for Vancouver. Obviously, at CenturyLink, Seattle's been really good this year. I mean... Jordan Morris's form is, is ridiculous. I think Raul Ruiz-Diaz returns from a suspension, if I'm not mistaken. Alex Roldan's been rolling. Jao Paulo's starting to get his fitness. Nico Ladero's just been doing Nico Ladero things defensively. They've started to figure it out with, uh, I, w- I always forget his name, the new guy they signed. It's, it's not Ariaga. Ariaga's the guy who was there before. No, the defender, mm. the Ecuadorian defender. Ya- Yaimar. sorry, Yaimar. He's been getting into a good groove. Uh, Stefan Fry has been one of the best goalies in MLS. They just signed, re-signed Brad Smith, who was a really good left back for them last year on loan from Bournemouth. Went back, obviously, and then all of a sudden they got got the means to re-sign him permanently. And they just brought back uh, Roma. Oh, I don't know why his name is. I'm struggling right now. Torres. I don't. know, First name is. It's not Roman Torres, is it? Am I am I throwing throwing myself say throw me a lifeline here. Um, I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll get it event. I'll, I'll get it before it is Roman Torres. Okay, my memory isn't failing me. They just got Roman Torres back from Inter Miami. Like they're rolling, they're deep, they're they're first in the West. It's just not an easy matchup. So I guess logically, that's a, it's a 5-0 spanking for the Whitecaps waiting to happen. But again, it's MLS. A Whitecaps win would be chaos of ultimate proportions. But it's just. If anything, this is a great measuring stick match for the Whitecaps. You've had a week off. Your team mostly seems to be healthy, obviously, aside from in goal. But you have all your defenders. You have all your midfielders. You have all your forwards, I'm pretty sure. So just put out your best lineup knowing that you've had a break. So I'd, I'd say to jump into lineup predictions, put in Evan Bush to, to see what he's made of. Put in Ali Adnan, Cornelius, Godoy, and Norwinsky. Put in Baldici, uh, Baldissimo and Bikel or Wusu, one of those three, honestly, at this point, kind of go with what you want to see. I'd say maybe Baldissimo Bikel just to start. And then put in Milinkovic, Dahomey, Cavallini, and then choose if you want to put Montero or Wusu at the 10. And just run. See what you can do. If you get spanked, at least this will give you an idea, okay, this is how much better you need to be next year. This is what you need to work on in the offseason. At least try to go toe-for-toe. And because at this point, I mean, yes, it's so MLS race is so tight. And if you go park the bus and get a point, it'll be valuable. But it would just be nice to see the Whitecaps kind of see what they're made of against this Seattle team. Because ultimately, when they played at MLS's back, it wasn't really reflective. Seattle was still waking up. The Whitecaps were missing a bunch of players. This is a huge barometer test. And it's probably one of the best they're going to get barring the rematch with seattle again because lafc has been so inconsistent but obviously the whitecaps don't match up well with lafc we know that even a team like the earthquakes who are in last in the west for whatever reason stylistically the whitecaps struggle against that system where seattle might be the best team they play until until the playoffs at least that it's just the most balanced team and can offer them the best level test of where they, they are as a team so I, if they go get, go out and get spanked 4-0, as long as they try their hardest and we, we can truly see where they're at as a team, that's all that matters for me, I think, on this one.
0: Yeah, um, I'm going to, just before I get into my lineup prediction, just to give some some general impressions heading into this one, I'm going to kind of unload my stat pack. I mean, first of all, Seattle Sounders, only 12 goals allowed so far this year, a goal difference of 17. Do you want to know what the next best goal difference is in the Western Conference? Like four? FC Dallas with a, a goal difference of six. So they are blowing <laughs> every other team in the West out of the water in that category, which is which is a little bit scary, especially considering that some of those matches early on in the year, they just didn't quite have things together yet. And so, you know, that's a, that's a daunting task for the Whitecaps. Then you've got Jordan Morris, as mentioned, he's got seven goals, six assists on the year, which is, you know, just ridiculous pace this early on or with this few matches played. He also averages seven chances created per match, which is fifth overall in MLS. And uh, Seattle has three wins in their last four, minus that 1-0 loss to Portland. And that kind of leads me into my format for success against Seattle, which is... Actually, kind of suits the Whitecaps, which is not holding a lot of the possession, playing the ultimate kind of negative counterattacking style match. Um, but, you know, I think the Whitecaps using that 4 2 3 1, where they can just kind of, you know, ship more of the possession, but then hold, pos- you know, keep their opponent to the outside and then hold some possession at important times and kind of play that evolved counterattacking style, I think that's the. That's the best chance the Whitecaps have of being involved in this one. I mean, obviously these are the defending MLS Cup champions. It's it's the second most potent attack in MLS this year, so they they certainly have the tools to expose you defensively. But I think with Eric Godoy and Derek Cornelius at the back, that uh, you know that provides some kind of quality there that the Whitecaps can combat Seattle with. And ultimately, Christian Gutierrez likely being injured, I think at least provides a bit of. Uh, a clear cut choice there at left back. Like you just put Ali Adnan in at left back and you don't worry about it. You got Jake Nurenski on the other side. I think I'd like to see Michael Baldissimo and uh, Yanni Obakel play in those two, you know, defensive midfield spots. And then I'm a big advocate. I would like to see Leonard Owusu get a try as a starter at the number 10 position. With David Milankovic, albeit if he's healthy, and Christian Dahomey on the wings, and then Freddie Montero up top. I've been banging this drum for a while. I want to see Lucas Cavallini come off the bench as a halftime or 55th minute sub. I think in a match like this, that could be the the little edge the Whitecaps need but uh ultimately it's a, yeah it's tough to see the white caps coming out with three points in this one, but uh you know I think if you if you follow that kind of strategy that's your best opportunity of uh of having some success
1: i I, I agree just it obviously again, I want the white caps to show what they're made of, and ultimately game game plan you do also want to see them game plan because you are you are right I mean when the white caps played Seattle, Seattle held. I think this was that was one of the three or four games the Whitecaps actually held more possession than the other team this year was against Seattle. Yet Seattle sat back, they pounded them three 0 It wasn't even really close because they just are so ruthless in transition with Jordan Morris and and Rui Diaz and Ladero and Jao Paulo. They just know how to pick apart teams on the counter. So if you're the Whitecaps, it's tough because you want to hold possession and show that you can make things happen, but you have to be wary of the transition threat. It would be it would just be. Criminal not to so I I, may be amending my point based on what you said I want to see them what they're made of but also I want to see them game plan because a win now would be a big statement to the rest of the West and to themselves to beat the top team in the West to get back in the playoff picture to show okay yeah you took two tough losses to LAFC in Portland but this team to show that this team isn't maybe as bad as they showed in those games because if they take another heavy, heavy loss even if they make the playoffs you just feel like it's a one and done waiting to happen. Whereas if they can at least really have a good showing at Seattle, be it a draw or a win, or even a certain kind of loss, it kind of sends a message that if they make the playoffs, it isn't a fluke. It isn't because there's eight out of the 12 teams made it. It's because this team is maybe better than they showed last week.
0: And it's funny. You're, your comment there near the end I think is in, in a way reading my mind because that kind of leads us into our match predictions and I'm going to predict what you just talked about which is a certain kind of loss. And so my match prediction is a 2-1 result for the Seattle Sounders, but what I'm envisioning here is a maybe two first half goals, kind of kind of relatively even play throughout the throughout the first half and then at some point in the second half a penalty is conceded in the Whitecaps box under kind of dubious circumstances or one that you know maybe one that goes the VAR one that's discussed whether it's a handball or a foul and Seattle converts at the spot takes a 2-1 win and the Whitecaps can kind of tout hey we we stood relatively toe-to-toe with Seattle and if not for that one decision things may have gone differently and that's it's just the kind of the match I see I think the Whitecaps are going to after you know a really tough showing in LA and then some positives in Portland but ultimately still a disappointing performance I think the Whitecaps will finally shake off that LAFC performance and and, and bring something much better to the table in Seattle but I just don't think it's going to be enough and I think it's It's likely to be one of those results where you feel like the Whitecaps play well, but ultimately all you have at the end of the day is a moral victory of sorts.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Again, MLS predictions always tell me to go against the grain. So I really want to be that guy and go, oh, two no Whitecaps and seem like a genius in a week or in a week and a few days. But ultimately, I just look at that Seattle team. They're rolling 3-1 Seattle. I just can't. I can't see a I can see a scenario where the white caps win, but I just don't feel confident putting it in my mouth right now just un, that's the way it is
0: yeah it's a, it's unfortunate, but it's the it's it's the current scenario. and do you think so i'll I'll quiz you a little bit f- further in that three one do you think it's gonna be the kind of match where the white caps come out feeling hard done by or do you think it's gonna be a match where they're thoroughly outplayed?
1: I think it'll be a game where they compete but then ultimately. They just never really find the foothold. Maybe it's 1-0 Seattle, they tie it up or something, or it's 2-0 Seattle, they make it close, and then Seattle just ultimately their third goal is at the end where it doesn't matter. But I feel like they'll, they'll compete because statistically, they match up well with Seattle. And that's the thing we forget in MLS. Like In a perfect playoff bracket, if you get teams you match up well against, you can kind of grind your way through. For example, it's, it's like I was saying earlier, The Whitecaps match up terribly against the Earthquakes, yet they're the worst team in the West right now. Whereas you look at the Whitecaps, you'd feel comfortable with them against Portland or Seattle just because of, stylistically, the way those two teams play. They match up a lot better than, say, the Whitecaps do against a mid-table team like LAFC. They match up well against the Galaxy recently, but they don't match up well against Dallas. Like it makes no sense how MLS works like that. So I do think they match up surprisingly well against Seattle, but I just think Seattle's in too hot of a form right right now to, to lose. But hey, we'll find out uh, when we do our recap next week.
0: Yeah. So that pretty much brings us to the end of uh, episode 51 of the third sub podcast. I hope that everyone enjoyed our mid-season awards or at least had some opinions about them and hope that everyone's looking forward to this Whitecaps match this weekend. Um, hopefully it'll be a little more enjoyable than the, than the Portland fixture, uh, you know, albeit that would probably have to mean that our predictions don't come true, but so, but so be it. And, uh, yeah, for me, uh, you can find me as always on Twitter at Samuel underscore rowboat and, uh, you can find us at 86forever.com for, for all my written work as well as the rest of the 86 forever team and, uh, Alex over to you.
1: Twitter Alex Kangiruzic, uh, BTS BTSFancy.com. Check out at the Third Subpod. We'll have our own award votes. If you like the, if you like this show, let us know. If not, if you like the arguing over stuff, argue with us too. We love, we love the, any sort of uh, just hearing from you guys. So if you if you, if you think we've completely lost our, our rocker with, uh, I don't know, what's a, what's a hot take from today? Our, I don't know, our unsung hero of the year, defender of the year. Let us know departure of the year, all that but yeah i think that pretty much wraps it up but we'll, we'll be back at the end of the year with end of the season awards and maybe we'll have some new categories by then but definitely was uh was fun to just kind of reminisce a bit in what's been a unique season as i guess this is technically the halfway point of phase of, of their games since mls is back because they, they're playing 18 nine and nine i think they got nine to go and they've just played nine they've played five before that so this is technically a halfway point point of sorts maybe we should have done this a bit earlier but I still think there's a good amount of games to change the narrative around some of the awards we did so it'll be interesting to see how things progress and enjoy the match on Saturday hopefully if you do for whatever reason after recent games dare to endeavor and watch it hopefully for your sake for all of our sakes it's a good one
0: yeah I mean who can really say uh what's the midpoint of this very strange MLS season but uh Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, be sure to, you know, shout us out. Drop a comment if you have some thoughts and uh, we'll be back again soon. Thanks for listening.